Good morning, I'm Joan Conroe and welcome to Alliance for Science Live. Our topic today is agroecology. It's one that has long intrigued me in part because I've heard it bandied about a lot, but I've never been clear on exactly what it is. The Alliance for Science doesn't have a policy on agroecology. Our position is that farmers should have access to tools and information about all the agricultural systems so they can make the choices that best meet the unique conditions of their farm. I've learned there is no one size fits all approach in agriculture. So to help us better understand agroecology, I organized this panel for a discussion. I had confirmed two scientists who specialize in agroecology, but unfortunately they withdrew from the panel earlier this week. It's always my hope that everyone, and especially scientists, can sit down and discuss ways to address the pressing issues of our time, two of which are feeding billions of people without bringing more wild land into production, while protecting Earth's greatly imperiled biodiversity, responding to the uncertainties of climate change, and substantially reducing agriculture's carbon footprint. It's a big puzzle, which underscores once again the need for a wide range of approaches, and combinations of approaches to solve it. So I'm pleased we have three well-informed guests today who can help us understand agroecology, its obstacles and opportunities, and its potential place in the global agricultural landscape. Um, Dr. Pam Ronald is a professor in the Genome Center and the Department of Plant Pathology, as well as the founding director of the Institute for Food and Agricultural Literacy at the University of California, Davis. She's also on the Alliance for Science Advisory Board. Welcome, Pam. Hello. Um, Naseeb Magwanya is an agricultural communications specialist from Uganda, who is currently a PhD candidate at North Carolina State University. He's um, a 2015 Global Leadership Fellow at the Alliance for Science and a former fellow at the Breakthrough Institute. Welcome, Naseeb. Thank you, hello. And we have Dr. Frederick Baldron. He's a senior scientist and a systems agronomist at CIMIT, based in Zimbabwe. Welcome, Fred. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So, Fred, we'll start with you because I know you've done some recent research in agroecology. Um, can you tell us, is there a scientific definition for the term and how would you define it? What does it mean to you? Yes, so um, um, of course we all know that agroecology has two uh, different meaning, a meaning a scientific de a science definition, agroecology as a science and agroecology as a movement. Uh, I'm a researcher, so I will mainly be talking about uh, agroecology as, as a science. So to me, I think in my work, I define agroecology in its broadest sense. I mean, this definition that has been around for almost a, a, a century. So really this is like the application of ecology in agriculture. Uh, and that's really the way I would say I practice agroecology in my research. What does that mean concretely? Uh, it means like manipulating biodiversity in uh, agroecosystem to maximize ecosystem services for the benefit of farmers. But of course, there's now a broader definition by, by, by FAO. In particular, FAO has now um, um, defined agroecology with 10 components. Uh, some components would like match, I would say, um, agroecology as a science and some perhaps more agroecology as a movement. Uh, so diversity, synergies, efficiency, resilience, recycling, I would say those are probably the basis of agroecology as a science. And then I added five other uh, components that are more 
probably related to agroecology as a movement, co-creation and sharing of knowledge, human and social values, culture and food traditions, responsible governance, and circular and solidarity economy. So I would say my own approach is probably a very uh, neutral one to agroecology as a science, but of course we know there's this definition of agroecology more as a, as a movement. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for that. It's good to know what is the science definition and, and what is the, the ideology definition because they can be different. Nassib, let's go to you and, and what, are, what are your thoughts? What, what, how do you define agroecology? Uh, thanks, John. The very first time I heard the term agroecology, my layman's interpretation was obvious. My background is agriculture science and my major is agriculture extension. So it struck me like a hybrid of agriculture and ecology. And to me already that wasn't so hard to process as a scientist by training until when there was a sort of conversation that seems to suggest like these other definitions of agroecology. So that's when I gained a deeper and more open-minded open interest in learning more about agroecology. And it struck me that there's the science, practice, and movement version. And I sided mostly with the science version because that's my uh, background. And to me, it's the application of ecological principles to agriculture systems and practices. And when I looked at the movement and practice version of agroecology, they seem to only expand the core version by adding other aspects of the food system like social, political, and cultural aspects. And that's where I realized that it's a very complex term and it can mean different things to different people, depending on who you speak with. Okay, Pam, let's, let's go to you. What, how do you define agroecology? And then also too, since all three of you are science-based, how do you um, bring together some sort of synthesis between something that has a, sci a scientific component and an ideological component? I mean, how do you sort of merge those two elements? Is it Pam? Well, I appreciate Fred and Asib's um, definitions. It's very helpful. I've always thought about agroecology as, as simply the application of ecology to agriculture. And it's something I've, I've been very interested in. I, um, I think, uh, of course, overall, the important challenges are to enhance sustainable agriculture, to think about how we can reduce harmful inputs, how we can enhance food security for farmers and support the rural livelihoods and uh, foster soil fertility. So there's a lot of aspects of agriculture, sustainable agriculture that are very important. And I think agroecology has an important role because um, one of the aspects of agroecology is to study the interaction of species in an agricultural um, biosystem. So that includes um, pests and predators of those pests, um, thinking about uh, ways to uh, manage the cropping system in terms of genetic diversity 
and to think about alternative approaches to um, some of the insecticides that can be quite toxic to um, farmers and their families. And so I've, I've been very interested in this term and uh, interested in, in some of the things that I've seen coming out of the science. And I'm a geneticist, so I um, obviously recognize there's many aspects of, of farming that are important for a, a healthy ecosystem, a healthy farming ecosystem. Um, but as a geneticist, I think more about how can we um, develop seeds that are genetically improved that will contribute to these broader goals of agroecology. Okay, so, so let's um, talk a little bit about, you know, when you're a scientist and you're working on a research project, but then there are also social and ideological aspects involved. You know, how do scientists address some of these systems of agriculture that have an ideological component? I don't know which of you would like to go first on that one. I mean, maybe I can just say that I don't think farmers think about it that way. Most farmers that I have met um, are very concerned with the challenge of growing crops and um, every specific um, ecosystem is going to be different for that farmer's challenge. So farmers are really very, very busy and they often don't have time to get involved in ideological debates. Um, so I, I'm not sure that question maybe is, is relevant to, to uh, what farmers are doing every day, whether you're a subsistence farmer in, in Bangladesh or India, or whether you're an organic farmer in California. Farmers are very, very focused on um, trying to enhance the sustainability and productivity of their systems. Um, but I'd be really interested to hear um, what Fred and Naseeb have to say. Oh yeah, I, I'm going off what you just said, Pam. I, I've spent the last, I started my career as an agricultural extension worker in Uganda, and this has been like about 10 years now. And I agree with you that farmers in their different contexts will always approach their farming in terms of practical solutions. What works for them, given a particular problem they are facing? A farmer who is having a pest problem would always think of what's the best way I can deal with this pest. And me as an agriculture extension worker, my role is to help farmers navigate the different options that can help them make informed decisions on what sort of solution to adopt or not. And so going back to John's question, when it comes to research and combining all these sorts of ideologies. To me, as someone who has worked with scientists, I can tell you that no scientist out there I know in Uganda works on a problem that doesn't take care of the social aspects of the environment they're working in. And so the very first time I heard agroecology as a movement and seemingly trying to be sort of like opposed to newer advances in, in, in technology or agricultural innovations, it, it, made, it gave me a hard time to reconcile that. I was honestly not seeing how, you know, newer advances in science, in terms of technologies, cannot fit within the agroecological uh, thinking about food systems. 
So, and I think this is where we have to have a conversation and sort of go past ideologies and sort of see the contextual realities of what farmers are facing today and what sort of options do we have on the table and how can we harness holistic approaches like agroecology not to exclude some solutions but rather embrace whatever farmers can adopt on their farms. Fred? Yeah, I think I, I agree with both what Pam and, and Nassib said. I mean, farmers have, uh, um, don't normally put in boxes practices in terms of what is agroecology, what would be like conventional farming, etc. I think farming is all about uh, yeah, pragmatism, flexibility, and really uh, trying, to, trying to make it work. And I think like, especially in the global south, yes, farmers have a very, uh, very hard life farming and uh, not too much time actually to worry about such ideological debate. Having said, that, having said that, I think in terms of uh, uh, the research we are doing, we are trying to um, bring the best evidence we can, really try to also be very explicit about trade-offs. I think every, every innovation, I mean, any, if, if you tweak a system, there will be always losers and winners. I mean, if you tweak, there will be trade-offs are everywhere. So if you start like modifying a system, there will be trade-offs. So I think we need to be very explicit about the trade-offs, what are the benefits, what are the costs, what are the potential risks. But of course, this is, uh, this is also a model into uh, ideology. We know very well that some funders, for instance, would, uh, uh, would not accept certain practices compared to some other funders. Some funders actually don't want to see herbicides in, uh, in the project that they fund. Uh, in some of my portfolio, uh, some, some, some donors are much more open in terms of what technology can go in, um, what they are funding or not. So I think the ideology is much more at the level of um, probably donors and society than farmers themselves, which yeah, one more time are all about flexibility and pragmatism. Um, I, the, the question of funding is an interesting one and I do wanna get into that a little bit um, later, but I, I'd like to talk a little bit about what does the science tell us about agroecology? Does it work? Um, what are its you know, promises and pitfalls? So maybe Fred, you could start with that one and just tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what do you think the science has really been able to tell us? Well, I will talk about my own research, perhaps. Yeah, okay. and, mm -hmm, please. And uh, published, published work that actually people can, can find. Most of it is open access. I think like, there's probably three big areas where I see like, agroecology as having potential and demonstrated potential. Um, first, of, first of all, uh, we've done quite a bit of work in Ethiopia on controlling stem borer. Quite a bit of work now in Zimbabwe on controlling Spodoptera um, frugipera, so the, the fall armyworm, which invaded the continent uh, a, a few years ago. And I think like diversification, whether at farm, at plot farm, landscape level, I mean, we have proven evidence that actually we can, it can help, it can, it can play. I'm not saying it's a silver bullet, but I think like really diversification for pest suppression, for biocontrol, uh, really has a, has a role to play. And I think it's a big uh, potential for agroecology, pest control. And we have a lot, you know, of new pests and diseases coming actually, not only COVID uh, for people, but also zoonosis and even for crops. So I think this is, this is quite important. Uh, I think crop livestock integration is probably another one and I've worked quite a bit on, on, on that. So, I mean, as, as a way to minimize the negative impact of livestock on the environment, but also to uh, cycle nutrients and to maintain soil fertility. So I think there is a lot of potential, not only in the agriculture in the south, actually, I think also in the north. 
see a lot of farms, whether in uh, North America or in Europe, like uh, reintegrating now livestock and, and, and crop. And I think there's a lot of potential for uh, synergies and recycling. And perhaps the last one on which I've worked also a little bit is the inclusion of trees on farm and in landscapes. So call it agroforestry, if you, if you will. But I think for, for um, soil fertility maintenance, one more time, but also for um, climate adaptation, especially like some of the work we've done in the Rift Valley of Ethiopia, uh, maintaining trees uh, really can play a role to actually uh, mitigate against uh, changing climate. So I would say like, I would say I've personally witnessed and collected evidence that for, I think, pest regulation, for crop livestock integration and for agroforestry or, you know, maintaining trees on farm, if you may consider those as, as you know, agroecological components, I think those can have a lot of potential uh, uh, for farming. Well, it's great to hear about the pest control because I think everyone shares, or pretty much everyone shares the goal of trying to reduce pesticide use. And with climate change, the indications are all that the pest pressure will just increase, particularly in, in Africa and other tropical areas. So, so that's an important one. Now, what about you, Naseeb, in, in your review of the literature and your studies? What, what have you found that the science has told you about agroecology? Well, I would say there's almost mainstream scientific consensus regarding how, like, if you optimize the different components within a biological system and did it so well, you will definitely get some yields or outputs from that. And that is basically reliant like on the thinking that, you know, nature, if well handled, will give you the best. And I agree with that notion. But we all know, or for those who may not know, that sometimes nature is not inherently perfect to give us the best that we want amid its certain farming conditions. And that's where like other technologies come in to sort of help nature with its sort of inherent limitations. And I would say to me, the, the, the science is very clear that technology, if judiciously applied, can fit within the agroecological systems thinking. And what about you, Pam, if you could weigh in? I noticed you're muted, so remember to unmute yourself before you respond, please. Okay, there you go. Okay. Yeah, thanks. I um, really enjoy uh, hearing these broader perspectives about agroecology and, and of course, um, it's it's can be very large talking about livestock integration and agroforestry very very important i of course am a geneticist so i'm not working at that uh, community level but i've been very interested in um you know my interpretation of agroecology to see how um scientists have used um bacterial um natural occurring bacterial uh pesticides to uh, reduce reliance on chemical insecticides. And it's, it's really a fantastic story and maybe just briefly touch on the BT story. Uh, so it's um, a bacterium bacillus thuringiensis produces a, a toxin that is targeted to insect pests that are harmful to many different types of crops. And it's been really fantastic to watch. So 
maybe about 50 years ago, um, scientists began to understand um, the components of the bacteria that um, could target these insect pests and organic farmers have been using Bt to spray on crops for many, many years. And it's been a really uh, successful approach in the sense that um, it's not harmful to humans and, and other wild, wildlife and has um, been a really important part of the organic farming system. And as we've advanced in our knowledge of plant microbe interactions, and um, genetic improvement, scientists were able to uh, isolate that particular gene from the bacteria and introduce it into the plant. And um, so it's been really important for many crops, including eggplant in Bangladesh, uh, cotton in India, corn in the United States, really many crops around the world um, have been engineered to produce this uh, bacterial protein and have massively reduced uh, chemical insecticide sprays. And it's, it's, it's very useful because when you spray it on the crop, sometimes uh, it doesn't actually get into the tissue that um, will, protect, uh, will protect the crop from the insect. And if you scientists are able to express it in that tissue, it's, it's much more effective. And in many places in the world, such as Bangladesh, it's very costly and difficult to find the spray. So there's a lot of reasons that farmers have embraced these Bt crops. And, you know, it didn't end there because Fred Gould, who is one of uh, Naseeb's mentors at NC State and his colleagues, Bruce Tabashnik, they've done many years of studies looking at the ecosystems um, on uh, the Bt crop uh, farms and it, it's really very fascinating. In China there's been many studies that have shown there's an enhanced um, uh, insect biodiversity. Uh, farmers using Bt crops because there's no longer spraying insecticides that kill all the insects in the field. Bt is very targeted and it's also been really very important um, the research that entomologists and ecologists have done to show that um, you really need to have a mixed cropping system in the sense that you don't want to plant um, a monoculture of the Bt crops and scientists have looked at that selection pressure and the, the type of balance that you need to assure that um, this Bt approach will be sustainable. So it's really gone from 50 years of research to, uh, I think, a very advanced uh, agroecology studies that have been carried out by Fred Gould, Bruce Tabashnik, and, and others. And so that's sort of a geneticist view of how seed can contribute to an agroecological system and reduce insecticide use. Okay. Um, now let's talk a little bit about where are some good places for agroecology to be implemented. And I lived in Hawaii for many, many years. And I know that even though you can grow a lot of things in the tropics, you also have a lot of pest pressure, disease pressure, and other things. So there is this trend now to try to increase adoption of agroecology in Africa, which is, has a lot of growing pressures. So Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what are some of the opportunities and constraints in its adoption, particularly in Africa? So um, maybe let's move over to Naseeb and Fred, since you both worked in that regard. Um, Fred, would you like to start? 
Yes, uh, constraints in Africa. I think like one of the main one I see would be like the labor constraint. I think a lot of those uh, uh, approaches based on agroecology, you know, means like you know moving biomass around, etc. So it has a, it has a lot of implication for labor. And if that's why over the last seven, eight years, I worked a lot actually on appropriate scale mechanization, exactly, exactly for that. I think labor, labor is not plentiful in African farming systems. Uh, that's often, I think, a misconception. So I think labor is, 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 is one. Uh, the, the second one, of course, we're talking of a system which is rather knowledge intensive and not, not input intensive, obviously. And uh, not all farmers are ready to go through the ups and downs of, you know, adaptive learning and uh, failures sometimes, etc. So I think this is this is a system which is geared towards like really farmers that have quite that are quite passionate about farming. And not all farmers are actually uh, are there out of choice. Some some of those are farming because there's no other opportunities. So perhaps the knowledge intensity is another one. Um, Another one I'd like to mention is perhaps the site specificity. And of course, this is one of the principles of agroecology. Um, I would think of one landscape that we have published extensively about in, in, in South Ethiopia. I think, it could be, I think it could be seen as really one model of an agroecological landscape. So um, uh, for, for pest regulation, fertility, etc. So really a good, a good example of synergies between, um, uh, between biodiversity and, and farming. But it's very hard to see how you can take actually the learnings from this particular landscape to another landscape. So the scalability actually of, uh, of agroecology is also a bit of an issue. So um, I think that's, that's a limitation. Um, perhaps I will mention, uh, um, jumping on what Nassib mentioned earlier, like the need for complementary uh, practices also, uh, I would say. For, for example, recycling is one, one major, uh, major component of, uh, of agroecology, recycling nutrients. In a lot of systems where I work or have been working, I mean, I can think of those granitic sandy soils in Zimbabwe, just, just nearby, there's very little nutrients to recycle. So actually you, uh, you, uh, you, 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 I mean, recycling nutrients won't lead to improved productivity. I mean, you might, you, you will need some, some, some input, you will need some, uh, some nutrients in those systems in order to have anything at all to recycle, actually. So I think like in the, in, in, in a lot of places, actually, like those principles would need also perhaps some input to complement. I think in terms of pest management as well, I mentioned some of the work we do on full army worm. I mean, uh, what, what really we are promoting as CIMIT is an integrated approach to, to, to that. So also using like uh, improved seeds, using also like a proper control of, of, of pesticide as well as agroecological uh, principles. That tends to be more effective than just using like some of those agroecological principles alone. So I would say, Perhaps another another of the limitation I, I see. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. I think um, there's a big misperception everywhere that la you know labor is a problem in farming everywhere around the world that I've encountered. I mean, just people don't really want to work on the farm so much, and um, it's a tough a tough job. And I think all over the world we're finding that problem of bringing new farmers into agriculture so that yeah. um, we and the whole issue of day labor is a big problem too. Um, so Naseeb, what are your thoughts about, you know, what are some of the opportunities and constraints um, on agroecology in Africa? You've worked with farmers closely in Uganda. So, so what are your thoughts here? And unmute yourself, please. Well, I would say that already what is predominantly being done by smallholder farmers 
in Africa is not radically different from the principles agroecology seeks to advance. Farmers are largely reliant on mother nature for their farming needs. They use uh, less inputs like fertilizers, pesticides, and I would say this is just common sense that most farmers are really like not that rich to afford buying some of these modern inputs. And sometimes where nature can sufficiently provide for their farming needs, there's no good reason for them to use external inputs or modern technologies. So I see already actually that agroecology matches farmers in Africa have not called it so, has already been happening. And so this is where actually sometimes I get to wrestle with the thought of like, where's the novelty in terms of what the movement is trying to promote? All I see is something already that has been done for centuries by farmers, relying mostly on intercropping systems, mulching, you know, saving seeds. And we've seen how far they can go with that kind of farming system. And I'm not dismissive of the merits of traditional farming practices, but I also know for the time I've lived with farmers that there are limitations to how much some of these traditional uh, technologies can help. For example, right now, any farmer growing cassava, which is a food security crop eaten by more than 13 million Ugandans, is facing the viral problem of cassava virus disease and mosaic. And all the natural ways of dealing with that, all the traditional ways of thinking about addressing uh, cassava mosaic and uh, brown streak disease for the last uh, 20 plus years have not yielded much benefits. And we see newer advances in science like genetic engineering giving promising headways in terms of addressing problems like brown streak disease. And so me, I see an opportunity there where agroecology can sort of blend with newer advances in science and the conversation we should have is how this can happen and how best to do it in a way that still doesn't uh, ruin the agroecological values or norms. Good points. So I want to let our audience know that we will be taking questions from the audience. So you can put them in the Q&A section um, of Zoom and also in the comment section on Facebook and we'll pull them from there. But you know, Pam, I'd like you to weigh in a little bit on you know principles of agroecology in places in the West, you know, in the U.S., which are already highly mechanized and things like that. Where do you see agroecology fitting in and in the in the West, and what are some of the opportunities and constraints in its adoption here? Farmers, um, one sort of basic aspect of agroecology, I, I would think, would the crop rotation and, and this concept that if you build up uh, over time uh, the same crop, the same cropping system and do the same thing every year, it increases the vulnerability of that crop to pest and disease. So, so I think it is uh, very important um, 
to have uh, different types of crop rotation, both in terms of different species that are cropping and then biodiversity, genetic diversity within the crop. And that I would say um, it, it's been really important to agri organic agriculture and it's also increasingly important to other types of agriculture that, that we see in the West. Um, and so I, I think when you're talking about um, sort of uh, commercial agriculture. So, you know, subsistence systems are, are really very different than commercial systems um, in the West, in the United States. So for example, uh, organic farmers and other farmers are, are buying their seed, they're buying their inputs, and then they're selling their crop uh, at a profit. So it's, it's a really different um, type of environment, they're not just producing uh, food for their families, but to feed hundreds of other other people, sometimes thousands of other people. So different pressures in those systems. And the very large farms are highly mechanized, whether they're organic farms or other types of farms. And um, so in those instances, it's becoming very important to have really precise types of applications to reduce the amount of external inputs that to consider modern approaches in terms of whether you're going to put um, uh, pheromones in your field to try to um, attract or, or repel pests to whether you're trying to use a, a BT crop, for example, to reduce insecticides or have some kind of, of, of targeted uh, fertilizers. Um, and then, of course, an important part of agroecology is, is nitrogen fixation. So a lot of crops, uh, legumes, can fix their own nitrogen. Uh, and so that's an important part of a, of a rotation system. That's a good segue into my next question, which is, you know, what does agroecology have in common with some of these other systems of agriculture, like uh, conservation agriculture, conventional agriculture? sustainable intensification, regeneration. I mean, there are many different um, styles of agriculture. So, so where do these, some of these systems overlap and diverge? Um, who'd like to go first? Maybe I'll just quickly say that uh, we've gotten so deep into these terms. Uh, it's really complicated to name agriculture in that way. So conventional agriculture has become popular. Um, to, to use that term, but it's really confusing, right? What is conventional agriculture? And um, it really, I think, is defined just that it's not organic agriculture. And so that means that, well, in the United States, organic agriculture is maybe one to 2% of uh, agriculture. And so that's 98% lumped into conventional agriculture. But then you have a huge spectrum of, you know, large farms, small farms and um, conventional uh, agriculture can use some some use genetically engineered crops some maybe don't use um, external inputs and so i think it's it's just a really confusing term and uh, maybe we need to get away from these terms and just think a little bit more about enhancing sustainable agriculture in all systems and the only i'd say that uh, Organic agriculture is well-defined because there's a certification system, both in the United States and in Europe and other countries, uh, which uh, limits 
the types of seeds that can be used and the types of inputs that, that can be used. And uh, it's organic agriculture has really advanced, I think, our thinking on agroecology, but it's not uh, defined as a sustainable agricultural system because organic agriculture also has many, many challenges. So I think if we can get away from, from these terms, and I'm sorry, I don't have a, another term to substitute for, but I think it's, it's nice if we can just think of global agriculture and trying to enhance the sustainability and agroecological practices of a farmer on a particular farm. And sometimes I think it's difficult conversation because co many consumers have probably not visited a commercial farm or subsistence farm. And so the, the, the language becomes so removed from what farmers are actually doing. Um, and I'd love to hear what Fred and Nassib have, have to say, if there's another term we can use for conventional agriculture, which I think um, is not, the way it's used now is not really meaningful or representative of the, the diverse kinds of farms that are out there in the world. I, I agree with you, uh, Pam. And going off what you just said, uh, the terms conventional for the time I've lived here in America mean like, you know, things, all things related to industrial farming practices, you know, modern inputs and stuff like that. And to me, when I see the movement version of agroecology with its dissatisfaction with the models of farming here and sort of going with the same uh, sort of advocacy in places like Africa to say, we are sick of conventional farming practices. It gets me to think that actually conventional in Africa is different from conventional in, in America or Europe. And so if you run from America or Europe and you be like going to Africa to preach about, oh, we should get rid of conventional ag practices, they're not good for the environment. I'm like, I'm afraid you may actually be fighting what you're trying to promote because what is widespread or conventional in Africa is small scale, farmers relying on nature, them being like intercropped, mulching. And so we need to have that sort of nuance when it comes to what are we calling conventional here? And is conventional the same everywhere? But to answer your question, John, for me, what I see in terms of convergence is that all these models seek to transform. They have that good intention that they want the best of what we do in terms of farming with minimal impacts on the environment. And so if we get rid of the ideologies we subscribe to and sort of see the contextual realities of where we want agroecology to be applied, we should be cognizant of what has worked in this context and how much can we achieve in terms of moving from where we are now <clears throat> to the next level. And so to me, I think the convergence is around, they all seek to have the same environmental outcomes, minimum damage on the environment, but the disagreement is in terms of how to achieve that. And I shouldn't see why we are even disagreeing if we listen to each other and realize that we all seek to have farmers who are food secure, more nutritious food, 
and we should just get on the table and see whatever options are there and how they can fit in a model that is very sustainable for humans and the environment. You know, Fred, you mentioned that farmers are, are very pragmatic and they're not really sort of looking at or labeling these systems when they're doing things in their fields. I mean, are we getting a little too hung up on the labels around these agricultural systems? And, and what are your thoughts on how we can address that issue? Yeah, I think I agree with, uh, with Pam and, and Nassib. I think this is largely also a semantic debate, all these definitions and these probably confusing consumers and confusing farmers and, and even researchers. Uh, my own program is called Sustainable Intensification Program within CIMIT. And sometimes it's very hard also for even people who belong to this program to understand what this means. And I think, I think perhaps that's also what Nassib mentioned. It's more, more about a trajectory than defining like particular, particular systems. I think we, we want a form of intensification that minimize you know, possible environmental negative effects and possible social negative effects as well. Uh, and I think, I think that's a very broad definition of, of sustainable intensification. I think, uh, I think this is perhaps broader than what agroecology would, uh, would mean. I think for most of this sustainable intensification system, biodiversity is probably an output. Uh, it's about like minimizing impact on biodiversity, but I think like uh, agroecology recognizes really biodiversity as specifically as an input from those uh, ecosystem, uh, ecosystem services. Um, but all together, I think we all, yeah, as Nassi mentioned, we all want the same thing. This is a trajectory. We want to minimize social and environmental negative consequences of, you know, some of those models of intensification. We don't want to repeat some of those models that perhaps had too, 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 too many negative consequences. And, um, and yes, perhaps, perhaps it would be good to, to, to move away from these labels. Yeah. I don't, how to do that? I don't know. A lot of those are also very, uh, very um, savvy about these, um, these um, these labels. So this is a complex problem to move away from it. Yeah, we do seem as as humans to want to label and categorize, and then we can all sort of decide where to belong. But it does seem like, especially in agriculture, and when you get right down to the farm level, there's an, a lot of overlap with farmers just trying to pull whatever they can to to get a crop off. Um, which leads me to, you know, what do you, there has been this in recent, you know, um, a lot of talk about agroecology. It's, it's gotten a place now in FAO. So, so what do each of you think is driving the agroecology movement now? Steve, you go first. Money. Well, uh, uh, that's a joke, but I would say, you know, all movements stand for causes. And oftentimes, causes start with good intentions. And I would say, when you look at the, the agroecological movement at its core, it's to promote more friendlier ways of doing agriculture in a way that doesn't harm the environment. And also taking care of other aspects of the food system, like you know, social justice. Uh, to me, I wouldn't fight such a cause. Who would want to fight social justice? Who would want to fight a fairer food system? But I think the problem comes in when movements get so radical in terms of their ideology and sort of making it seem like this is the way to go. And 
what I've seen in terms of the agroecology movement in places like Africa, the, the dominant version of agroecology seems to me as an ideological extension of the well-fed and privileged uh, folks in the West that sort of run to places like Africa and sort of use all these narratives of like, we don't want Africa to go through the same problems like the West or Europe or America, forgetting that the contextual realities of Africa and Europe are totally different. I've seen the problems here people have and food is none of those problems. Where I come from, I can tell you, and as part of someone who grew up in Uganda, I know what it means to go without a meal a day. Now, you realize that some of the folks in these movements have these ideal notions of uh, this is the better way the food system should look like, but those ideal notions are informed by their Western dissatisfaction with whatever has gone wrong with the systems here, and they run to places like Africa to start to preach, forgetting that we are totally different contexts, and that's where we need to have a very honest and nuanced conversation on what mode of agroecology are you trying to promote? And are you really caring about the needs of the farmers, getting them out of poverty, helping them have more food, or you're caring for the needs of your ideologies of, you know, purist, you know, thinkings around food and, you know, the environment. So I'll kind of segue from that um, to see into an issue or question that is a little bit related to one that, that, that was in the Q&A section. And that is, you know, a lot of what we focus on when we're looking at that, um, the value of an agricultural system is yield. So how do we really bring in some of these other concepts like social justice, environmental sustainability, farmers' livelihoods, protecting indigenous crops. How do we bring those things in while also paying attention to what farmers and everyone is thinking about too, which is yield, because you know, they're producing a crop for a particular reason, which is to feed themselves and or make some income. So you know, Pam and Fred, what are your thoughts on, on how we can bring some of those concepts into our discussions and practices of agriculture? without becoming too ideological on just, you know, without being entirely ideologically based. I think one of, one of, the, one of the 10 components from the FAO definition of, uh, of agroecology, if I, if I want to go back to this one, is like really this co-construction. And I think it's also important to have like uh, systems that are adaptive to, to local, local circumstances. And I think that, that that can be a way to make sure actually that uh, uh, what we are promoting as researchers and developers and maybe echo what Nassib was saying, is adapted to the context, not something that is parachuted from, uh, from a really uh, another context and is not fitting um, properly. I think I agree with Nassib uh, on the fact that, um, I mean, I've, I've spent 19 years working with and for smallholders in um, Eastern and Southern Africa. And, uh, and this is not a romantic life for many of them. And uh, this is really a system which is in need of transformation. And uh, this, is, this is not, I mean, Real transformation needs needs yeah uh, need, needs more than just uh, tweaking the system. That's that, that's for sure. But my I mean my interpretation of agroecology. I mean in in the work I'm doing, and I think it's it's in my own views like really uh, uh, ticking the box of of of, of agroecology in many ways. 
but we, we use we use improved seeds you know i mean we we, we can't just use like local seeds with very uh, little uh, very poor uh, poor uh, yield potential uh, we use fertilizer when it be etc so i think one more time a pragmatic approach but i i, I still believe that what what I'm doing, a lot of what I'm doing actually uh, meets the, the, the criteria, at least of my own definition of agroecology. But, but, but indeed, uh, there's need for transformation, but there's need also for really local adaptation of the system that are, that are promoted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pam, what are your thoughts here? Well, I really appreciate what Nassib and Fred are saying, and I, and I think that we're not going to have a transformation unless we have both compassion and scientific evidence. And, and so the work that Fred and, and his colleagues are doing, for example, is really very important because they're getting data and experimentation to figure out what types of systems are gonna work in a particular environment. And if we throw out experience and evidence and data, then there's not gonna be a transformation. And I, I think we've seen that globally, of course, with many issues of um, discarding scientific evidence or expert uh, input. And so I really believe that for whatever we're going to call our more sustainable transformative, um, transformational systems, uh, we, we really need to support the scientific research and, and of course um, a compassionate approach and humanitarian approach to the farmers that have many challenges right now. And as Naseeb said, many are not, um, don't have access to to food security so we really need both those things and so for me talking about ideology and tribes and people choosing tribes when it comes to agriculture i just i don't think it's helpful i really of course i'm a scientist myself um but i do uh, feel very strongly that we have to base our um policies and helping farmers based on on scientific evidence so don't work in agroecology myself, but I, I, I um, really support the kind of work that um, Fred and others are doing. And, and, and I do think that we need um, funds to support the, the scientific research and not simply just promoting ideologies that's untethered from the needs of farmers in the field. So that leads back to the money point that Nassim made and, you know, and it funding often does come into these things. When I did some recent interviews with scientists about conservation agriculture, they were mentioning that it seems that often funding, you know, donor organizations or whatever, funding rather than science tends to drive agricultural policies. So is this a good or a bad thing and does it apply to agroecology? Fred, what are your thoughts? Well, I think as Pam said, I think we've seen that uh, political lobbyists are getting power in many Many agendas and often like the science is not really, it's not the best science that is informing policies. I mean, we can see that for the climate crisis. We can see that also in a way for the biodiversity crisis, even for, I mean, the COVID-19 crisis, I would say. So science is not always informing policy and probably, unfortunately, less and less and uh, lobbyists are, are, are becoming more and more powerful. Um, so I, I don't know how funding funding would influence uh, uh, policymakers, probably also we can think about how also funding is different, uh, is influencing the science itself. I think there's, there's definitely also perhaps we need to recognize a funding gap also in, a, in what we would put in agroecology. Uh, I think we need also to recognize, recognize that there is a much less uh, um, 
much less, much, much less funding going to actually proper agroecological science, and I'm not talking of lobbying, uh, to document, as Pam said, to be able to really document and document trade-off and what is positive and negative in all this approach. I think there's a funding gap definitely in, uh, in agroecology that needs to be recognized. Beside the issue of science informing policies. Mm -hmm. See, what are your thoughts here? Well, I will not differ from Fred and Pam, and I would say credible scientific evidence should inform agricultural policies. And to me, I would be fair that you know every donor who funds have their interests and. Whether the funding is going into agroecology or the funding is going into non-agroecology, to me as someone who has been trained as an agriculture extension workers, I'd love to see that that funding ultimately seeks to care for the needs of, of the farmer and not to care for the needs of the donor, like, you know, their ideologies and their, whatever they are romanticizing about. So I would say agricultural policies should be based on evidence. And we know that the best way we can formulate policies is looking at the data and what it, it's telling us about the state of agriculture as it is today. And everyone can agree that the status of agriculture in Africa right now needs a transformation. And we should have that honest conversation of how best can we transform the sector without thinking so much of, you know, who is funding this or that, but whether broadly looking at all those, you know, human and environmental outcomes each one of us would love to see. You know, so um, we have quite a few comments on our Facebook um, live stream here. Unfortunately, I cannot see a lot of them, but I, every now and then I can pop one up. It seems like they're only showing about four at a time and I can't retrieve the rest, but it seems like more than questions, there's sort of this debate going on amongst people who are watching this, which leads me to why does agroecology provoke such strong reactions? We've got people who think it really is, you know, sort of the savior, the way to go for agriculture. And then others like a recent risk monger blog that called it a dreamer's disease that will starve millions. So, you know, why does it provoke these reactions? And I think a big question a lot of people have is, can it feed the billions? So who wants to go first on that one? I'd like to hear all of your responses to that one, please. Pam, why don't you jump in? Well, I, I would actually prefer to hear from Fred and Naseeb. I'm not an expert in this. I um, I was actually quite astonished um, a number of years ago now when I noticed how polarized this very benign and beautiful term had become. And um, so I, I think of myself um, as an agricultural scientist um, that was pretty surprised about this emotional polarization. And so I, I'd like to hear from Fred and Naseeb about their thoughts on this. I'll go. Uh, so I would say <laughs> one of those folks that were like, you know, sort of tempted to have a reaction to agroecology was me. And I wrote this piece, which was sort of like a modest critique of the dominant version of agroecology. And 
I was arguing that the way I see the dominant version, it seems to deviate from the original version, which is the, the science version of agroecology that doesn't say anywhere that you can exclude uh, technology if you were to implement agroecology. So to answer your question, some of these strong feelings come from like those who are concerned that there is uh, a science to this term, but again, the way the, move, uh, the, the various iterations around it get to confuse many people and those with the louder voices who are like the ideologues or the movement side tend to push a version which is very conservative. So on the anti side of agroecology are those voices that are concerned that the version is being hijacked by a movement for their own reasons. And then for those who are pro agroecology, the emotions come from that deep seated anger with industrial forms of ag and agroecology to me seems like a proxy word for fighting industrial farming practices. Good point. What are your thoughts, Fred? Yeah, yeah, no, I hear what both uh, uh, Pam and Nasiba are saying. I think, yeah, I think pe people are paying more attention about the way food is produced globally, and I think that's a good thing. I think we also, um, people are more informed, reading more, and there's access to media, etc. So I think people are, there's also growing public awareness that, you know, the global food system, and Nasib, I'm talking of the global food system, of course, perhaps like agriculture in the South is not contributing so much, but is a major root cause in a number of crises. We cannot deny that. Uh, the climate crisis, the biodiversity crisis, etc., and even perhaps in the emergence of, of diseases, and we are right in the, in the middle of a pandemic. So I think there's growing awareness that you know, there's a problem in the way food is produced and perhaps people, people can equate that to agroecology. Agroecology might be a solution. There's also a growing mistrust in a way, and Nassib, you refer that to uh, industrial uh, farming. I see that a lot uh, in, in, in France with my peers about the, the, the quality of the food that we are producing, uh, not, not, not the quantity, but like really the quality of the food and you know, the, 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 the sort of also uh, animal, um, animal welfare and how, how is the food produced. And there's also, there's also even, even about like farmers themselves, I mean, there's also all these issues about like a conventional system. I don't know if we can still use uh, this term of conventional systems, but like uh, uh, leading also to a lot of uh, indebtedness in, in Europe, for instance, this is well documented, uh, even, even suicide, etc. So, I mean, there, there's, there's also all these ideas that perhaps a better food system would be like with a more local, uh, more local food system, more smaller scale systems and Agroecology is perhaps seen as, as an answer to that. Uh, there's also a growing, a growing feeling of inequity globally and the fact that uh, small-scale farmers are you know, um, excluded more and more from the current uh, food system. So I think people are paying more attention to, to the way food is produced. People are paying more attention to all these issues. And I think they, they, they find agroecology could be, could be a solution. And, uh, and uh, well, we are, we are talking of uh, feeding the billion, but I think also we need to we need to remember that our current food systems is, is failing to feed almost 1 billion people uh, in the South and uh, producing more in the North doesn't seem to equate to feeding these people, to reaching these people. So we need also to produce food where it's needed and uh, feeding this 1 billion. I mean, if we are talking of feeding the billions, let's not forget about this 1 billion uh, who is going angry. Uh, and I think, I, I think that's what really 
feeds this movement of agroecology. I mean, then, then after, of course, like for the, for the, for the against, uh, perhaps a strict application of agroecology, as Nassib mentioned, it you know, would not lead to the sort of transformation needed in particular to feed this one billion. But I think a lot of the principle of agroecology can really help. Uh, one more time, I think there's no silver bullets in all the technologies that we are pro uh, promoting or talking about, you know, agroecology or biotechnology or etc. I think we need a combination also of technology to be able to bring about the sort of transformation, real transformation uh, that, 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 we all, uh, that we all seek. Mm. Um, Pam, I just want to check in with you because I believe you have to get off here at the time of the, at the top of the hour. Is that correct? Okay, so I just tried to stay on a little bit, but I just want to thank you for joining us. And are there any last parting words you'd like to add? No, just thank you very much. I really appreciate um, the discussion and, and I've learned a lot and um, enjoy the rest of your discussion. Okay, thank you very much, Pam. Thank you. Okay. Um, so we won't go on too, too much longer than this because I just checked on Facebook and I haven't gotten any specific questions there. It seems more like their discussion, but we do have one question in chat, which is knowledge intensive farming is viable only if the farmer is rewarded by a higher price for its produce. This restricts agroecology to the same niche as organic farming. In addition, inputs for agroecology farming are only available in the developed world. Considering these and the fact that you need more land to produce the same amount of food, isn't it irresponsible to promote agroecology for Africa? Would either of you like to respond to that? I mean, yeah, on the, on the, on the fact that you, know, you need organic resources that are only available in the north. I mean, it's, it's true that it's far easier to recycle uh, uh, organic resources in the north where there is like a surplus of, of, of waste and nitrogen, etc. Then in the south, where actually there's a, a huge deficit. I mean, this is a, a Goldilocks uh, situation, too much in the north and too little in, um, in, in the south. So, I mean, this is, this is what I tried to mention earlier about like recycling. I mean, you need also nutrients to be able to recycle those nutrients. So I think that's why perhaps we need a bit of pragmatism there. We need to actually at least uh, uh, prompt the system with nutrients in, in order to have you know, some nutrients to recycle. That's um, that's for sure. I, I agree with this comment. You know, we have surpluses in the north of, and, and we can recycle. We have a lot of options to uh, use this organic uh, uh, organic material in the north, and far less in the south. Yeah, just on this specific point. Yeah, and going off what you just said, and what uh, the the person who asked uh, uh, sort of add is that, you know, sometimes the very principles of agroecology and what they seek to achieve sort of get contradictory in some contexts. Like if you're seeking to have, you know, a fairer food system and, you know, that doesn't create any sort of burden for whoever is in that system, then you would be careful to not want to just run away with it as sort of the only approach because we know in places like Africa, already farmers comprise more than, uh, women farmers comprise more than 70% of those who farm. And we know that the nature of practices that agroecology call for sometimes will make it for women farmers to spend more time in the gardens, which would result into additional uh, 
labor burden on top of other, you know, burdens that already women have in Africa. So I would say sometimes, you know, the, the agroecology version, which is sort of radical, tends to not have these nuances and contextual complexities of how much can it really achieve in this context without creating additional burdens to people who are already burdened like women farmers. And Fred, I think you sort of addressed this, but I'll just bring it up again since it is here as a question. And that is, um, how do you explain the fact that an organization such as FAO takes in consideration the scientific and movement aspect of agroecology in their 10 elements of agroecology? And the fact that this framework has been approved by FAO member countries. So maybe you could both address that if you'd like. Well, I'm not part of FAO, so it's hard for me to talk in the name of FAO, but I, I don't think this is a bad thing that FAO also like, uh, uh, put, put, put in place some of those uh, principles that are linked more to the, to the movement. I think, I think we, as I said, like with the definition of, for example, sustainable intensification, I think we all aim at increasing food quantity and quality with minimum negative consequences for the environment and also minimum social consequences. I mean, we know this can lead to inequity, etc. growing inequity, displacement of farmers. So I think like to, to, put, to put that in place uh, as one of the components, I mean, some of those um, um, components in the definition of agroecology is not really a bad thing. I mean, to, to talk about co-construction, I think we would all agree with that. I mean, to talk about like fair systems, etc. Uh, sovereignty, etc. I think this is this is fair, and this is just recognizing that. One more time, talking about the trade-off. I mentioned trade-off earlier on, like to not push productivity at all costs. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've got a problem with that. I'm not sure I understood the comment very well. Mm -hmm. But uh, a problem with that. I mean, we it's just stating that we don't want to increase productivity at all costs, and recognizing other trade-offs and making sure that we mitigate against those. Okay. Good. I think. And that was, the, that was the question. So, Nassim? Yeah, my, my major concern with big intergovernmental organizations like FAO is the power they have in terms of shaping the agricultural agenda globally and on the continent. And I'm afraid if they choose to fund the radical version of agroecology, which sort of restricts uh, modern ag innovations, it would be very detrimental for farming in Africa. So I'm 100% for funding uh, agroecology, but we should be careful which version of agroecology here is being promoted. Is it the version that seeks to be inclusive of all options that farmers can have within their farming context, or we are pushing a version that restricts options farmers can adopt on their farm. So that should be our worry. FAO is a powerful organization and we should be concerned which version of agroecology are they trying to promote and that should worry us if the version they are promoting is the one which seeks to restrict options for farmers. Again, it goes back into these questions of definitions of terms. I mean, I'm a writer, so I'm very interested in language, but we oftentimes all seem to have our own ideas on what 
words and concepts and things mean, which makes it so difficult to communicate and move forward. Um, we have another question here, which they're thanking um, you for participating. And they'd like to know what you think the role played by big agrochemical industrial companies and supermarket distributions are, um, I guess, sort of your thoughts on the whole production distribution system and how that might work in with an agricultural system. So we've got the, the role that's currently played by industrial company, agro-industrial companies and supermarket distributions and, and how could that fit into an agro Is that dominating and could an agro-ecological system fit into that, I, I guess is sort of what they're asking. Well, I think supermarket distribution definitely in the north is, is a problem. I mean, I've got a lot of my friends are farmers. I mean, I come also from a, a farming background in Europe and definitely I think the supermarkets are taking the lion's share actually of the value produced by, 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 by farmers and they are becoming very powerful and it's uh, a bit of an oligarchy. So, uh, and I think it echoes the previous comments about how farmers can be rewarded for, for, for their knowledge. If it's a knowledge intensive system, you know, more labor, more, more care being placed on this, on this uh, product and actually a product of higher quality. Indeed, I do believe that, uh, that uh, farmers should be rewarded and often, um, often this value is not uh, transferred back to the, to the farmer with the, these large supermarket distribution uh, systems, which are becoming yeah, very, very dominant and very powerful with uh, price that are uh, really broken down and, uh, and often the, the, the farmer is, is, is suffering there. So I think like, yes, there is this whole idea of local, uh, local food system, which is already part of this agroecology definition. And um, well, it's not always easy for, for, for actually, this is not something that applies to Everyone, of course, having the luxury of you know going to your uh, uh, neighbor who's a farmer and to pick your own strawberries, etc. So that's a bit of a luxury, and I think it echoes very much what Nasib was saying about like the sort of divide we have. We cannot apply, you know, the thinking that we have in uh, agriculture in the north to the, you know, the same thinking we have in agriculture in the south. But uh, in the north, definitely, like the power that those supermarket um, distribution systems uh, exert is definitely worrying to me. Mm. Yeah, and going off that, I would say, you know, the context is a little different for places like, you know, Africa and most places in sub-Saharan Africa that the distribution uh, networks or food supply chains are relatively short. And I would say that farmers or whoever is involved in a given uh, food supply chain should get an equal share of what they deserve. And when you look at agroecology and all you know, the practices they call for, some of these might require additional time for farmers. And I would really want farmers to be rewarded for any extra burden and new uh, agro agriculture uh, approach uh, puts on them. So, and you know, those things uh, had to think about how best can we reward farmers. And I think that's where we need better policies, you know, issues that are economic, political, social, require good policies in place to see that everyone involved in that sort of system gets a fair share of their contribution. I think that's a good point about funding transitions because I have a friend who's trying to transition family land in Illinois from 
you know, sort of uh, chemical soy and bean production to organic. And then in talking with some of the conservation agricultural scientists, they were saying one constraint for farmers is, you know, what do you do when you're trying to transition this land, but you really need all of it for your production. So I think that that whole process of supporting farmers through a transition to another system is, is really something we need to look at. Um, so in regard to this idea of sort of the agrochemical companies, I mean, do you think that they are trying to quash agroecology or um, what are your thoughts on their role in, in this movement? Uh, to, to, to me, it's not a question of, you know, squashing or, or sort, of a, sort of war between those different disciplines, but I think it goes back to what I mentioned earlier about the funding gap. I mean, those, those companies are, uh, are, are very well funded uh, research uh, programs. I think Bayer right now is over a billion a year going into research. So that's huge, and this is uh, this is actually more than uh, what uh, any government would, uh, I think, in the world are investing in agroecology right now, if I'm not mistaken. So this is this is huge. So I think it's not it's not really perhaps like a, a, a physically squashing, you know, uh, the other discipline, but in terms of a funding gap, and it has an impact then, uh, of course, on uh, on what gets promoted or not. I think it, it plays a role, yes. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts, Missy? Well, I don't know. I'll be fair to say that, you know, all these uh, food fights and politics, you can't underestimate who are the players that we don't get to see at the forefront of these fights. And you realize that at the end, you know, the ultimate end users like farmers end up being that the victims of like, you know, whether it's, you know, big ag companies, you know, fighting agroecology or those, you know, purist environmentalists who feel a certain way about farming, funding agroecology. Uh, to me, I would say that I wish we sort of uh, thought about the farmer first and ask all these basic questions of like, what would a farmer in Africa right now who is growing cassava, which is having cassava mosaic disease need? And then we see all the players who can contribute to solving this problem. Whether that means that player comes from industry, whether that player comes from an agroecological movement, I would love to see that happening rather than fronting the interest first of you know that the donors or companies will should like be putting interests of farmers and consumers and ask the best questions of what do they want and who can best uh, contribute to whatever their needs are. I think I agree also with that. I think we, as researchers and the three of us on this panel well, our researchers, I think our role is really to increase the range of possibilities for farmers. It's just to increase the size of the basket of options. And uh, I think that's, that's fundamentally what researchers should do. It's really being demand-driven and uh, being able to propose solutions uh, and increase the range of these solutions for farmers. I think that, that's, that's really our mandate, yeah, or what it should be. Yeah, that is. So in that regard, is, is there a place for biotechnology and agroecology? Or can those principles be compatible or synergistic in any way? Is it for 
<laughs> their view. <laughs> of course, as I said before, that there's a great opportunity for some of the newer advances in biotechnology. We are seeing how much uh, CRISPR is, is changing how we are thinking about genetic engineering. And all those who are opposed to like genetically modified crops for reasons like, you know, foreign DNA, we've seen that newer biotech tools like CRISPR are able to sort of uh, engineer a crop without bringing in uh, external DNA. And when you largely look at what the agroecological movement seeks to achieve, which is, you know, minimizing the damage agriculture can have on the environment, how about if we looked at which biotech crops can fit within this model? Pam Ronald just told us about BT crops where you don't need pesticides. How about if we looked at ways in which we can incorporate such biotech innovations that almost fit within uh, the principles that agroecology seeks to advance? And also if agroecology is concerned about big ag and corporations, how about if I told you about biotech, which is led by public sector scientists like in Uganda, where it's not a corporation or big company trying to profit off farmers. So I think these are the sort of conversations we need to have on a case by case uh, basis when it comes to which biotech and how can it be best applied within their agroecological thinking. Okay, um, so I'll, this will be our last question here. And that is, you know, I think whether you're a scientist or a farmer or an advocacy group or whatever, people tend to get into their own little system and, and wanna stay there. So is there a one size fits all approach to agriculture, one method that should be adopted around the world? Um, what are your thoughts on that? or? how should we approach that issue of which one is used? There cannot be a one size fit all for, for farming. Farming is so diverse. I mean, even, even, uh, even in a single country in, in, in Eastern or Southern Africa, for instance, in Uganda, you have a massive diversity. You come to Zimbabwe, you have a massive diversity. So of course we need, we need local adaptation. That's, um, that's for sure. And uh, I think that's why it's well recognized in one of the, one of the 10 components of agroecology, this sort of bottom up, Territorial, uh, territorial approach, and I think I think this is important. And that's I think that's what also seduces a lot of um, of people in terms of uh, of agroecology as uh, as as a movement. It's really uh, really this sort of bottom up and territorial approach. I think uh, one more time, we are researchers here, so I think from a, a, from an R and D perspective, I think there's um, it brings an in interesting tension there. Uh, I refer I refer to the example of, for example, this, uh, this, uh, this landscape in, uh, in Ethiopia, which is like a very nice landscape, but it's very difficult to scale uh, out actually the learning from this particular landscape elsewhere. It's a bit the same, like we cannot adapt, we cannot actually, R&D doesn't have the funding to actually adapt to each and every landscape and each and every community. So there's an interesting tension there between, um, between uh, developing innovations, developing technologies that uh, you know, have a sufficiently large recommendation domain or where it can really fit a sufficiently large population and this need for local adaptation. So I think that's the all, that's an art in a way in terms of targeting and in terms of scaling, uh, which, is, which is part of, of R&D in agriculture. So I think it's, it's an interesting tension. So yes, we need um, adaptation, we need local adaptation, 
but also, I mean, to interest, uh, to interest public investment, private investment, and even to be able to use efficiently R&D uh, funding. I mean, we need also to recognize these recommendation domains and develop innovations that work for more than a small community, but still be able to adapt it. I don't know if I make sense. Yes, that did make perfect sense. Nassib? Uh, yeah, absolutely not. We, we know that the complexities surrounding uh, farming are so, um, like, the, the same principle that agroecology seeks to advance, which is, you know, thinking about farming and food systems in a complex way, is the same approach we should have in terms of solutions. We need to be a little more humble and complex in how we think of solutions and whether they are adapted to the context in which we are trying to apply them. And I'm going to sound cliche here, but we cannot address agricultural problems of the 21st century with the 19th century solutions. We know that the world we are in, even right now, is totally different from the world that was last year. And we don't even know the dire impacts of what COVID is going to have on the food system. So I would say let's be more open to whatever options we can have to address the multiplicity of challenges that keep changing, that keep being unpredictable. As we, speak, we are speaking now, just in around the start of this year, there were desert locusts that ravaged uh, most parts of uh, Kenya and Uganda. And we are yet to see what sort of uh, damage that is going to have. And so we need to have that humility and complexity in terms of embracing all options that can help to address these problems. I think it's quite true that we're going to be seeing <clears throat> more and more challenges for agriculture with climate change and other social issues too. So hopefully this is a dis discussion we can continue to have and I'm disappointed that our other two panelists weren't able to join or decided not to join because I think it would have added to the discussion. But I really appreciate what the two of you added to this and that your willingness to sit down and talk about this today. And I think maybe the next step would be to try to get together a group of farmers who are using different systems and, and see how, how they're all faring in that. So um, are there any parting words that either of you would like to share? Okay, great. Well, thank you. I, I do have one. We need a, 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 what a, you know, we need a version of agroecology. Maybe we call it agroecology 3.0, which is embracing of all options for farmers rather than being exclusive of options inclusive rather than exclusive yeah that seems to be one of the trends in society so all right well thank you both very much for joining us i really appreciate it and i thank those who been on facebook and on zoom here so um until the next time thanks very much